Greetings programs, welcome to Animatronic, the podcast talking about episodes of Disney's animated television show, Tron Uprising. My name is Duncan Shields, host of Tronologically Speaking, the movie-by-minute podcast talking about 1982's movie, Tron. And I'm Courtney Coulson, reviewing Tron Legacy one minute at a time on Legacy Minute. Episode 6. So for today's episode, this is episode 6. Uh, and this is after making a daring theft for a valuable data cube from General Tesla's base, Beck, as the renegade, escapes on his light jet over the sea of simulation. Paige engages the renegade in an aerial dogfight, and the two nemeses crash on a remote island. Upon discovering the island is disintegrating into the sea, the two foes must call a temporary truce and are forced to work together on a plan to survive. These unfolding events cause Paige to reflect on her personal history and the life she led before turning into a soldier of the occupation. Paige reveals she once knew the program Cora, who oh, was yeah. on the run from the occupation and hid in Paige's hometown. So we open with a little recap of everything that's happened so far. Oh, yes. And the episode is called Isolated. Huh. <laughs> nice. I get it. It's a play on words. Pun. Uh, I was having a bit of a think about Tron, as as I do. Uh, what? What? Yeah, we actually. Uh, it's been two weeks since we recorded, so yeah, yeah, lots of thinking about Tron. Yeah. And it occurred to me that in the first movie, the users are the gods of of this world of the grid. And now it's just Flynn. There's only one. They've they've evolved into a monotheistic religion. If there's just Flynn or there's just Clue? What do you... As in, so, you know, they say, they used to say, thank the user, whereas now, like, oh, you know, not even Flynn himself could do this. It's true. You kind of got, you kind of got Clue and the, Clue and Flynn as God and the devil. Mm. And you've kind of got, but I mean, Clue's like practical, whereas uh, Flynn's kind of reclusive and off in the wild. Well, sort of like Sark, you know, Sark is this, evil presence that is physically there yeah the user is something hypothetical but yeah i wonder how programs in the current grid conceptualize the the human world you know do they think it's just you know the, there's the one god flynn doing his thing we don't know what he's up to or how that all works or what his realm is uh, or do they know that there are other humans i don't yeah it's weird i always thought that their idea of the users was kind of like our idea of sixth dimensional beings like we just mm. we don't we don't know we're like i don't know they must be pretty weird i guess i, ca I can't possibly comprehend them but I, I hope they're looking out for us you know like they that uh, must be so strange when well actually yeah, just beck talking to tron about flint's like you knew flint right yeah so how does that all work and just revealing <laughs> that yeah humans aren't that amazing <laughs> Yeah, for sure, right? Like that, that comes up in, in, in all the movies where they're like, yeah, well, you know, humans, they get by. You're like, no, 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 no. They're, they're, they're gods. Yeah. You're telling yeah. me that they can bleed and they have to sleep? And they... <laughs> yeah, right? Now I want to write that conversation between Beck and Tron. That's fascinating, though, that you see, like, yeah, like they went from like a, a multi, or what do you call that, polytheist. A pantheon. Yeah, a pantheon. A pantheon of like 
uncountable unknowable gods like it wasn't like the users were famous by name there was just belief in the users 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 right mm. like and so but now it's like yeah it's just it's just flynn it's weird how no, that it's a guardian out. angels i guess where it's like you're a program and oh, then yeah. you have your guardian angel 100 percent. yeah totally totally that that's your yeah it's like it's your personal creator but it's also mm. like your guardian angel that's an interesting relationship because it's like it's not just some minor god that's been aside to look after you it's your creator yeah right? so that's like that's unique and i like uh, i like that sort of aspect of it yeah that's fascinating i mean so culturally what does that do to them and psychologically what does that do to them that they've gone from i mean very very few programs have actually carried over from the original grid but yeah just how do these two cultures differ in that sense idea of i do have a personal creator and these ones don't they seem meaner hmm. right they seem more into the blood feuds they seem more into the arena fights and a lot of that is true influence i mean they're they're in the grip of a you know a rather horrifying empire so i mean you know things are what they are but they, they seem like there's less hope more darkness and uh a bit more you know a bit more reason to be to let the savagery out like they don't seem to really hesitate before starting to get into fights and cut each other up which is mm. i got the feeling in 1982 it was like there was more of a a utopia that was being destroyed by the mcp whereas now we're in a post post destruction of that yeah uh, you know well not only is there only one god but that god has seemingly abandoned you so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah makes sense there's only one god left and he 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 left he's over there somewhere trying to stay safe i guess he says the only move is to the only good move is to not to play thanks god <laughs> thanks good looking out <laughs> that must be really wild having yeah a user actually in the system that you're aware of that's just yeah. way off somewhere you know taking a vote of non-interference that's uh that would do a number like if that if i was a faithful program who really believed in the users that would really <laughs> shake me up and i'd be like well what's the point then you yeah, know. existential crisis. This Tron in, in the series just inspires a lot of existential crises. <laughs> it sure does, and I, I and I and I like that. But here we see in the episode itself, uh, we see that uh, Tesla being so mean towards Paige is distancing her, and her admiration for the renegade is increasing, even though he's her quarry. Um, and then we also see that Tron, as of the bombing of the drill in the in the race episode last time, is starting to up his campaign against uh, Tesla. So it's it, this this whole episode opens on Tesla's base, which is sort of a mini Death Star filled with recognizers. And great. yeah, it's super awesome. I love the, the all these recognizers floating around. And then Beck is on board of this this uh, Death Star of Tesla's ship, and he's looking for a data cube. And he's crawling through all these glowing ventilation shafts, which is like the, uh, they're like the green crawl spaces in Event Horizon, mm. you know, and it crawling around trying to fix the computer or Jeffrey's tubes in uh, the Star Trek. Tubes. Yeah, right? I was about to say. So these are, but these are glowing red and it's, it's turning his, uh, his suit into a red suit because of the lighting, which is really cool that they, they've gone Love that it. extra mile. It's really high quality here. And then Paige is just uh, chilling in her quarters, but she's she's playing music on like a little like data pad sampler instrument, one of those little things. I don't know what they're called, but the ones with all the squares. Yeah, I actually them. did. I was searching everywhere, going, "What are these things called? What are they called?" So, uh, what it, did I end up? Uh, uh, 
it is, I think it is literally just cool to datapad. I have lost oh. that in my... Oh, I said music pad or a mixer. That's basically it. So. Oh, okay. A music pad or a mixer. They should have a, 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 a more unique name than that. That sounds like... Right? Kind of doing them a disservice because there's like the... The stuff I've seen some people get up to on those is is nothing short of incredible. Like it's really amazing the things you can do with it. I so, kind of want one. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of those instruments that's like a bit of bottom bottomless. Once you start hooking it up and you realize what's possible, you just kind of like, oh, I could do this and this and this and this and that. Unlimited power. Unlimited power. And then uh, we see that she is, uh, she moves aside and we see an old picture of her and her friends. And then we get the first of many flashbacks in this episode where we see her and her friends taking a selfie in front of a medical center. And uh, Paige Paige has a whole different haircut and I've never seen, I haven't seen her friends here, so... And her voice is higher. They did did a really good job of making this character seem younger. Yeah, for sure. And... Uh, all their uh, light parts are green, which, I mean, it is the medical color of Star Trek Voyager. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's the official medical color. In it is. Fiction. It's like, uh, well, also in, in a lot of the like RX drugstore signs and stuff, they tend to be green. I think True. there's a there's a green, especially, especially over in, in, uh, in Europe, I saw a lot more green, like medical was kind of green here here and here in north america you get the red cross you know like it's more of a red thing a red stripe a red cross a red piping that's more of a medical thing but i i, I have seen a lot of uh like the green catechus and uh, uh oh yeah no ambulances around here that are white and green we don't have okay. white and red oh what go. really confused me was um ratchet in yeah here we go transformers prime uh <laughs> he's white and orange i'm like when has there ever been an orange ambulance? No, I looked it up and that they did base that on a specific ambulance. So. Oh, like a, like an old one? Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe deliberately went for one that was not currently in use. I think I saw like a, like an orange ambulance, but it was in like a 70s exploitation movie. And it was set oh, in yeah. like rural Maine or something. So I don't know. I'm like, oh, Total that's... tangent, but uh, 70s cars, wood paneling, brown coloring all of that let's bring it back because that is insane it's so good it's so good i saw a fantastic <laughs> ad for an old uh station wagon and the back seat the, the like it was a bench seat in the back seat and it had curved what? so it was like it was curved around so it was big enough for like six or seven people and then the passenger seat besides the driver was facing backwards that's genius. So you could you it. could have a big old conversation in the a conversation pit in the back of your station wagon while the while the other person while the driver was driving. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. It's it's uh, so impractical, but it's 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 beautiful, right? You're just like, oh, I, I want to go. With, I want to take a ride in that with all my friends. Cars these days so domestic and safe uh, and stuff. Designed in a wind title with their crumple zones, saving lives. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> So and Paige has that uh, that sort of teal that 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 green teal color, almost like a turquoise. It's it's kind of green, but it's like that really vibrant, vibrant green. And then uh, Paige mm. has a she's got a cross shape on her shoulder. So I guess these three that are taking the selfie together, they're uh, they're medical students. So it's like Paige used to be a medical student of some kind. Yeah. And uh, so when they're taking the selfie, she runs off and turns the, the light on. and But then just gets into the perfect pose at the last second. <laughs> I just thought that. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's good. Just 
epic uh, modeling skills. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then an alarm goes off on Tesla's ship because Beck has stolen the data cube. This is the the MacGuffin for this episode. Is uh, is this big old data cube? And it's like a little Rubik's cube kind of a thing, but it's glowy. And anyway, Beck's got it, and then Paige is in pursuit, and uh, Tesla reveals he does that a, a fantastic expository dialogue where he's like. Pavel, we have to get it back. It has all the security codes for all the systems on the base, you know, and like so. Which is the dumbest thing. It would be like, I could put all my passwords on it, on like one A4 sheet of paper. I don't even hide it anywhere. <laughs> Damn it, they stole the post-it notes. Dang it. No. <laughs> I was going to say, um, Paige's relationship with Tesla is really interesting, and I don't know why. I mean, maybe it'll be explored further in later episodes, but it's just... I don't know there's something because you can you can t- clearly tell how Tesla feels towards Pavel, for instance. But yeah, yeah. with Paige, like he's kind of testing her, and it doesn't seem like he well, he definitely doesn't hate her as much as he hates uh, Pavel. But no, Pavel is just a straight, like I guess almost I want to say mono Starscream. mono. You know, well, there's yeah. this there's this you know this is a simple animosity. There's a simple sort of wolf pack, you know. Yeah. I'm in charge here, and there's this jockeying. And, Alpha, and, beta. Yeah, and they know that, like, Tesla knows if I turn my back for a second, Pavel's going to put a knife in my spine, but I can respect mm. that about him, and it's, it's a, I feel the same towards him. Like, it's, you know, it's there's a real yeah. sort of on-the-same-page kind of thing. But, yeah, with, with Paige, it's almost like he's uh, paternal, but in a really evil way. Like he's yeah, paternal. That's a good way to describe it. You know, it's like he's kind of looking after her and helping her grow, but only by putting her in life-threatening situations that she barely escapes. And then he's kind of like, yeah. And then he's like, oh, okay, good. Now you're now you're worthy of another step up in rank. Like, but it's like he's on her side, but in a really dark way. And it's very mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It's 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 that's good. That's a good uh, that's a good thing to notice. It's it's different than with than with Pavel for sure. It kind of reminds me of, it, it is kind of a trope you see, especially in kids' stories, where, uh, oh, I can't remember which one of the kids from Chronicles of Narnia it is, but um, in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the boy who meets the White Witch first, and yeah. she kind of pretends to be his friend, like that kind of thing, where he's not actually evil, he's just been misguided. Yeah, that is something that, ha- well, I, and I like it because it's. I think it's common. I think there's a lot of people that, you know, they get, yeah, they end up on the wrong side through really practical and easy to understand means, mm. you know, and then they're in way too deep and they're like, can't do anything about it once the. Uh, oh, yeah. I think we, we've we all know. been there in one way or another. Yeah. Right. And you're like, Just maybe oh, not this dramatic. Like there's not a whole war going on and stuff. No, but you'll get a you'll get a moment sometimes where you're like, oh, my gosh, I I'm on the wrong side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. Oh, this no. is a. This isn't cool at all, actually. And uh, so Paige hasn't hit that moment yet. But so then we see, so Beck narrowly escapes in his uh, flying glider. And we see this fantastic overhead shot of all of Argon City and all its glory. It's mm. absolutely beautiful. And then um, Beck is being pursued by the a light chopper, one of those uh, machine gun light choppers that we saw before, which is being piloted by Paige. And she's got a squadron of four light jets flanking her. And there's a dogfight, and Beck is pulling harsh Gs, which I 
again, I'm sort of like, so they have G's in this universe. There's a, there's a gravitational con because I know it's not zero G, but I was kind of wondering about how it does seems that like work? gravity works basically the same as it does in our world. Yeah, it's well probably a little lighter. They do some pretty amazing leaps and and jumps in this. <laughs> through throughout the entirety of the series. There's some pretty. I was really hoping gymnastics. when the helicopter shot through the light trail behind Beck that it would actually break the light trail. I've always wanted to see something like that. Oh, just have it shatter. Yeah, mm. that would be pretty awesome. Missed opportunity, if... guys. Yeah, I wonder if they'll ever have that. Well, that opens up a can of worms, right? Like, yeah. Can you pick up a shard of it and turn it into a sword, or like you know, like what could you? What can Maybe you do? Maybe it's just like it? just turns into the pixel block things, yeah. basically. I would assume, uh, which we do. Yeah. We see happen to the rest of the island. The island's really cool. You got these really tall, like stretched out pillars. It almost looks like they've gotten a texture and just literally stretched it all the way out. And yeah, the way they collapse—that's something I've mentioned before. It's just the way objects are destroyed is they've really put a lot of thought into it and watching all this sort of the cracks spreading out from a point of destruction and yeah. impact and then watching it get destroyed yeah like one so thing cool. i've noticed so far is that each episode seems to have one specialized cool new thing mm. right and in this one it, it's 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 like you were talking about because we see them they're dog fighting each other uh spraying bullets they're flying through canyons they're Beck's turning on his light trail, like he said. There's all this kind of stuff going on, and Beck's Beck's ship gets tagged and starts to malfunction. So it's like stuttering in and out of existence and going down quick. And he can't turn it back into a wand, but he also can't make it solid. So it's kind of existing in a half state. But he eventually yeah. crashes on the uh, on the island on this little ragged chunk of fractalized land. And then uh, Paige's rudder clips um, Beck's jet wall. And then she spirals down too. And then we see that his uh, strobing flyer has, <laughs> I don't know how, but it somehow infected the land when it, yeah. when it, when it exploded, causing a, a rift of instability that starts to grow. So it spontaneously became a virus, I guess. I guess like whatever state the ship was in, uh, its instability spread. So now the whole hmm. island is is unstable. Luckily, he didn't crash onto the mainland. Otherwise, it would have the nothing would have ravaged across the land. But here he's on uh, a small little island that it can. Yeah. Or maybe the island is, you know, half formed and partially unstable, just by itself. Like so. Are these? You know. like, it's a it's a procedurally generated island. It wasn't even there until these guys showed up. Sure. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Their proximity Makes created sense. it. So it's just, it's supposed to be temporary. So it was never supposed to support a, a, something crashing into it, let alone a, a, a prolonged existence. I like that. We also see that there is smoke coming out of the helicopter. And mm. that, so there's fire yep. on the grid. You can make fire. So there is yep. that kind of chemistry. That, so I have many questions. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, on, on an aside, fi fire is actually really rare in the universe. Mm. Earth is one of the only planets that actually has fire. We have that, that fairly unique set of... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, But anyway, so Pavel sees both the crashes and the explosion, and he's like, ha, ha, ha. Like, 
I think he's done this three times so far, and I'm sure he'll do it another six times. But he's like, fantastic. The renegade's dead. I'll take credit for it. And then, uh, yeah. and, but then he sees that Paige needs rescuing and he's like, oh, there's, there's no room on my ship. <laughs> and then he, oh, sorry. He I just don't off. have any space. Yeah. It's, it's great acting by Paul Rubens here again. Cause I don't, I don't, <laughs> agree. I don't hear Paul Rubens at all in the character's voice here. I just, uh, I just see Pavel being a jerk, you know, so it's it's really good. He's had some really interesting roles over the past few years. He's done this. He was, oh, ages ago, he was the computer in uh, Flight of the Navigator, I think it was. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Doing a very robotic voice. Sometimes he, like, there was a scene where he was like, ha ha ha. But then mostly it was just, yeah. Yeah, because the... he gets hit by lightning or something. And then that sort of fries the onboard AI. And that's <laughs> that's right. Starts getting pretty wacky. Need to watch that again. And then he was in Gotham as the Penguin's uh, biological father. I think it was. That's right. Yeah, that was wild. He oh, was great just like uh, just like in the movie. Was he? Yeah, in the in the beginning of the first, oh. the uh, the the second Batman or whatever, his rich parents put Danny DeVito as a baby in the city's sewer system and so the penguin grows up there or whatever but his parents were Paul Rubens and I forget the actress's name they're only in it for huh. one shot but he's got like waxed down hair and like a pinced nez and uh you know a waxed mustache or whatever but oh I can absolutely see it uh well uh shout out to Batman by the way I guess I did not get up to those minutes <laughs> yeah yeah well that was yeah it was in the very very first one Thank gosh, I think I'm remembering that correctly. I hope I hope so. Yeah. Well, I mean it makes so much sense. I want I'm gonna accept it anyway, even if it's not real. Yeah. We're gonna make our own Mandela universe. That's right. So then we get another flashback now with Paige being a medic in that part of the city that looks like uh salt crystals or sugar crystals or something. Huge open spaces. It's close to the medical center where she works. It's kinda of like zoomed in. Uh, like a zoomed in macro picture of the fortress of solitude or something is yes i love this it's beautiful it's wonderful it looks fantastic really effective way to create the idea of a busy city a lot of uh, constructs around the place but no it's it's just shapes yeah and we get a cool we get a cool conversation here well this is like when they went to the 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 slum in the last episode right like Mm. It was this weird pastiche of pastel squares and just clutter. And it was like, they do a lot with a little in these backgrounds where they just sort and of take And they make a, every part of the city or every different city, I guess, look unique. Yeah. Yeah. It could, like a, a, a show like this could very easily fall prey to every place looking exactly the same. And it's really cool that it doesn't. Yeah, I've been well, I've been watching a lot of anime, but I've been watching a lot of a Western animation as well, just to kind of compare the two. And Western animation really does cut corners a lot, especially TV stuff, you know, Cartoon oh, Network yeah. and whatever. Oh yeah. And yeah, this is this is not that they really did put a lot of thought into this stuff. Yeah, and it's good to see. I've seen shows that are like switch to a cheaper animation house like halfway through the run, and it's just I can't watch it anymore. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, oh yeah, no. No, it was so beautiful and expensive. And so like they had to <laughs> pare it down. But so we we cut back to she's still in the flashback hair and uh and Paige is catching up with her two friends and she's saying that she was late because she was practicing her music. I love this conversation because her friends 
her friends when she says that she was practicing her music i guess on her her little data pad sequencer her friends mm. say geez page stick to your programming yeah so we learn that she's um adaptable and we also learn this idea that programs can branch out from their programming voluntarily that like sticking to your core programming is almost more done out of like social and maybe legal pressure rather than uh, the rigidity of a person's actual program. Yeah, I'm wondering about that. Is it just that some people are, they have this, I don't know, mutation where they are able to be a little bit more creative, have a bit more free will, or can all programs do that, but culturally it's just not encouraged? Yeah, I think it's kind of like, you know, like with people, right? You've got these like polymaths out there that are just, they have to do all the things and they want to do all the things and they're good at mm. all the things. And there's some people that are just like, you know what's awesome? Accounting. And I don't care about anything else. Yeah. The end. Uh, yeah. My, my problem is this. I have so many things I want to do. There's writing and sewing and drawing and sculpting and just anything that takes my fancy at the moment. For sure. Right. And there's like this. hours in the day. People that are, yeah, and I'm, I'm the same way. And there's people that are like that and there's people that aren't. So it might just be like a like a preference thing in the in the Tron universe. Like maybe if your program fits your personality, fantastic. Yeah. What a great yeah. life you're about to have, <laughs> you know, but like. Very straightforward. If it doesn't, or if you, if you have the notion to try something else, I wonder if that dovetails into the monotheistic, polytheistic reality. Like I think maybe doing oh, yeah. anything outside of your program was deemed almost impossible back in 1982's movie but then in this movie since all the gods are gone and the one that's left is just like a non-entity out in the wilderness somewhere maybe yeah. now it's like well why not try some music yeah you know? i guess it is there's no more micromanaging so there's a lot of uh, opportunities for deviancy yeah right yeah in all its in all its wonderful forms and Paige seems to be the most adaptable of any program we've seen. I mean, she can be a badass warrior. She can be a doctor. She could be yeah. the musician. She, she does it all. She's a real, and she's a real thinker too. Like she's mm. like, you know, there's a lot, there's a still waters run deep thing going on with her where she kind of, she kind of, she doesn't really come across as a two dimensional character, but she comes like the depth becomes apparent as the episodes go by where you're like, wow, this there's a lot going on here. There's, there's, she's more adaptable than the programs around her, and this is more of, uh, more sort of evidence for that. It kind of like I never realized before, but I think Paige might be my favorite character. <laughs> she's getting up there for me too, because she's quasi right. She's not just a bad guy, and she mm. likes. Uh, she's not just like falling in love with the renegade or something. Like she's there's this respect, and there's this. You know, she's comparing notes between both sides in her heads, and she's not becoming a double agent. It's just a complexity mm. going on there, and an intelligence that's that's really that's really quite cool. Yeah, she could have absolutely just ended up being a typical kind of Catwoman character. Where oh, she floats with Batman, and maybe she'll go to the good side, but not nah, never. Yeah, will. yeah, yeah. And I'm glad they didn't uh, they didn't go down that road. Like I think um, it's it's interesting because it sort of ruins the ideas that. Like the idea of computers is that you are that your program you can't escape your programming. So, yeah, mm. it'll, it'll be it'll be interest it'll be interesting because like conceptually, I remember in 1992 it was supposed to be an alternate universe where we had literally created AI servants to do our bidding. Yeah, and that they were gaining enough sentience to run themselves. But then after a while, it just it sort of morphed into just being like a a metaphor for computers 
and not and which is i think easier to understand i think it's inevitable if you create a civilization like this you know they're not just programs for a specific purpose as they were in the original grid yeah they have community they have relationships they have hobbies they have all this sort of stuff so yeah it's kind of inevitable there's going yeah. to be an evolution taking place and it's much more interesting too it's it's, it's mm. easier to write for in uh in this way otherwise it's every episode's going to be about someone going against their programming again and it's like okay well this we got to get past this <laughs> we need to just have... yeah i love writing stories about non-human characters i've got one now i'm just trying to push this as far as i can go i got one now where uh it's an alien abduction story but the aliens abduct an, a killer whale. So it's oh. all from a killer whale's perspective. And I'm just like, okay, so now I've just got to figure out what it's like to be a killer whale and yeah. also an alien. No problem. <laughs> but Easy. I think, you know, if I, by choosing a mammal, at least I can kind of go, there. There's, there's some familiarity there. You know, they have a social system. They've got uh, families. It's a, it's a matriarchal society. There's things there that a human reader can relate to, but a program or a, transformer or any of those sorts of characters like how how the hell do you deal with that just making them human yeah you have to personify them mm. but so the three of them our trio is walking along and there's a scream and then the trio run over to help and it's cora and she's on it the cora. ground yeah. she's with it with her friend and uh they're both on the ground and three dudes are standing gloating over them and i love this we get a close-up of uh Cora's face and they really mm -hmm. nailed Olivia Wilde here with her with her angles it's the same it's a similar extreme caricature like they did with Bruce Boxleitner but mm -hmm. uh it's it's perfect it's just like oh Olivia Wilde like they just really they really nailed it I thought I think it is really spot on but there's something about the nose just on certain angles that I go that like her nose looks a little too long and when she looks down especially but if you look yeah. at her on profile it's fine when she looks down what what is happening I guess uh compared to Bruce Bachleitner's, uh, you know, half mile long nose <laughs> in, in, in his caricature. It's, it's comparatively tiny, but yeah, I see what, True. You're, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, that, and I've noticed that, especially my history with uh, studying art for a long time is drawing exaggerated faces. So old faces, male faces, you can just go nuts, just really exaggerating features. But when you're drawing a pretty female face it's just oh i gotta strip everything back and be really subtle oh this isn't fun yeah i suppose so eh yeah oh and and kids babies oh my god drawing babies that don't look weird i can't do it it's pretty hard yeah yeah they have a very uh very unique head shape that if you get it wrong you're like oh dear this is not right this is horrifying although not as bad as the uh, bodybuilding babies of renaissance painting <laughs> no definitely not I'll, I'll never be that bad. So Paige jumps in and uh, beats all the dudes up, and then Cora jumps in and helps. And then later, I think at Paige's apartment, or maybe in a medical bay. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I think it's in an apartment. Uh, Paige says that Cora's friend is in bad shape, and then she notices that Cora's code is a little bit different. Dun mm. dun da. But then Cora refers to how hard things were after the war. And how she's a refugee after ISOs were discovered in her hometown. And yeah, whole... it's interesting how they make the assumption there. 
Yeah, and the whole city fell victim to the purge that happened after ISO showed up in her town. So we know that Cora is an ISO, but but Paige is mm-hmm. uh, I, I forget I don't know I don't know if we got the names of her friends yet, but her her female friend talks about how terrifying it must have been for Cora to have ISOs in her city. And then her male friend talks about he's heard that they're crazy and that they can derez people with their bare hands. So he's they're yeah. obviously like they've they've totally gone into this anti ISO propaganda that they're they've bought into and they believe. So, but you can yeah, see yeah, like it doesn't even sound like they harbor any specific prejudice. It was just well, that's what we heard. We heard yeah. they're really bad and scary. Yeah. So. You know, watch out for those guys. You know, they're not really, they're not like, round them all up, kill them all. They're just kind of like, yeah. yeah, this is what I heard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's interesting that they get celebrity voices for almost anyone. So uh, Cora's friend's name is Ada, and she's voiced by Parminder Nagra, who was the lead in Bendit Like Beckham. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, I didn't very, know that. Very random. Cool. And I never want to see Bendit Like Beckham ever again, because I had to study it in year eight, and I just... I can't do it anymore. <laughs> but also Ava, uh, I think, is like Ava Lovelace. And... Uh, oh, no, it's Ada. Yeah, Ada. Sorry, Ada. Ada. Right. Her. Yeah. Oh, so her name's Ada. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So which I think that's uh, Ada Lovelace, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah perhaps after Ada Lovelace. And she was like uh, the world's first computer programmer back in 1843. Not just like I'm the first. Some weird noises on your end. Oh really? Scratching. Oh oh sorry. Oh that's my cat. I was like, yeah, it sort of sounds like maybe an animal doing something. Yeah, my ba- uh, my my micro my my recording microphone is not picking it up, but yeah, she's definitely going to town on her toy fish behind me there. So that's <laughs> that's what's going yeah. on there. But yeah, so uh, yeah, Ada Lovelace worked on Charles Babbage's analytical engine back in 1843 so i think there's a connection there like some of these people have computer names that are some of them have computer names and some of them don't so but i think ada is one that is uh is uh is one of those yeah a little bit more of a direct reference i don't think we figured out what pavel was because i mean there's well Pavlov, but i don't pavel but i think there's well there's pavel chekhov (laughs) i don't know yeah there's probably a Pavel, probably a famous Pavel out there, I imagine. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did not find a solution to that one. Well, we'll find out. Maybe that one's not going to just, maybe that's not, or maybe we'll find out. But anyway, we get back to the island where Beck is trying his mechanic tool on chunks of the flyer rubble to, to no avail. And uh, huge chunks of the island are starting to disappear. And Beck and Paige inevitably find each other and start fighting. But uh, she gets the data cube from him, dangles off a cliff, noticing that the island is falling apart. They agree to a truce. Uh, she makes a raft out of helicopter parts, but it fails. And then she swims back, nearly derezzing herself when she steps on a part of the beach that disintegrates. And the island is really starting to go to pieces here. But like you said, the, the disintegration effect is so cool and so well thought out and such a, such a yeah. pretty kind of effect. It's not... Uh, it's not just something that they whipped up in 10 seconds. It looks like it was something that was really well thought out and conceptualized. For whatever reason, it reminds me of the game Death Stranding, where you've got these really beautiful minimalist landscapes that are clearly very well thought out. And yeah. just they have a character of their own, I guess. Yeah. 
for sure. And I also then, want to mention that the reflection on the uh, helicopter, what is, what is that, the blade or the something? I don't know, but it's all shiny and it looks like glass. It's very convincing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's something I'm sure that they used a lot of computers for help with because if there's one thing that can do shiny plastic really well, it's a computer. Yes. They had that figured out like 30 years ago. <laughs> they, yeah. That's not a problem. Water? Everything else a little harder. Yeah, a little harder, yeah. but... I so, wouldn't be a terrible villain because if I was in a situation like this, I'd just go, uh, well, yeah, I don't really want to fight right now because we, we might die. But no, villains always in this situation is like, no, we, I'm either going to kill you or we die together. Okay. Yeah. It takes was, a really specific kind of personality type. I clearly don't have it. It's like the uh, the dudes in the bike race when, uh, mm. when, when, you know, Beck's like, there's a bomb up ahead. You two better turn back. And they're, they're like, Okay. And they turn back. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Like, See, that's me. That what? is me. <laughs> you you kind of want Paige to say, yeah, for sure. Truce. Sounds good. You know, like, but instead <laughs> they got to fight it out, you know, which, uh, which makes sense. But so they, uh, but Beck says that he could maybe cannibalize her helicopter wreckage and use it to power his lifeboat so that they can both escape, mm. uh, which is his sort of engineer mechanic knowledge there that she doesn't have but then she notices that his arm is wounded and offers to help so he's revealed that he's like a mechanic engineer and she's revealed that she's a medic so yeah i um, love i don't i forgot to look up what the name of this trope is but i love it when the hero and the villain are stuck in a place together maybe they're stuck in a cave or whatever yeah. and they got to spend time together and they talk to each other and maybe they realize they actually have a lot in common yeah it shows that you can't really change someone else's perspective and ah oh, love it it's such a cliche yeah and then they, so they, they both go back to their respective tribes with new knowledge you know that's a it's, it's a mm. wonderful that's a wonderful trope and i yeah, it's not a bottle episode. No, I forget yet, but there's got to be a name for it. But she needs his disc to repair the damage, right? So she's got to look mm. into his disc and, and be a doctor to him that way. So that takes trust. Giving somebody else your disc is like a big deal. Well, it's not like she can go anywhere with it. Exactly. So there's trust building between the two of them here, which is nice. But then she flashes back again, and she's playing her instrument for Cora and Ada, and the ISOs are really impressed with her music. And, and then Paige says that she's impressed with their fighting skills and says, can you teach me some? And uh, mm. as Cora's teaching her a few moves, her sleeve rolls down a bit and exposes So it her, does move like fabric. It exposes her ISO brand tattoo, revealing that she is uh, a, an ISO. So... Yeah, there's a few things here, right? Like Paige took out three guys by herself to save Cora, but she's envious of Cora's fighting skills. It's interesting that she immediately wants to learn this new skill. Like that's just what she's all about. Yeah, not only that, but she's t she's like teach me how to fight better. Like cuz we we know that she's good at fighting. So maybe it's like you know, like Cora was doing like kung fu fighting and Paige was just doing bar bar room brawling so she wanted to you've obviously had training and style can you can you teach me that like yeah she's she wants mm. to she sees something that she doesn't know how to do she's like i want to learn that immediately yeah and that's uh that's a pretty cool factor about Paige that i that i really like but also yeah um sorry the trope is called enemy mine of course it is oh yeah after the most fantastic one of the best movies that's ever been made i love that movie that's a great hell movie. yeah oh i need to watch that again too it's been a long time oh yeah 
that's one of my one of my brothers and I's favorites from back in the day. Uh, but also, yeah, sleeves. Mm. Right, programs have sleeves, and they work like actual fire rate. They can roll down the. the, the it's reacting like, to physics in that way. That's fascinating to me. I guess. I mean, I get that we needed a way for Paige to, you know, quote unquote, find out that Cora is mm. an ISO. So, like, I can roll with it. But like at the at the beginning, like. Page was looking at Cora's disc, saying like, "Oh, you're, yeah. um, you know, your 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 code's different. That's weird." But I'm like, "Wouldn't have she been able to say, oh my god, she's an ISO?' Like after one second of looking at it." Yeah, that should have been the point where she figured it out. I don't know why they had to delay the point an extra five seconds. Well, I think they needed them to get close so that the the reveal would be a betrayal of some kind. You know, now they're all pals. Sure. They're hanging out. You know, Cora likes her music. They're just a bunch of regular human programs hanging out. None of them are ISOs. Everything's cool. Then, oh my gosh, it was all a lie. So I think maybe mm. they, they, they needed that to happen. So it, it had to happen later on in the episode. But uh, I think they, 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 I don't know how they could have done it better, but there is definitely a, a way because their, their, their clothing isn't their skin. I mean, sorry, their yeah. clothing, their clothing is their skin. It's, it's, it's canon that they're, they don't take off their clothes. They are their clothes, right? Like so. Yeah, I mean, you see the way it goes on to Sam's body. It's not like clothing. No. So, yeah, that was that was an interesting moment. But you know, I, I can roll with it. I mean, like she needed to. This moment needed to happen. So. Mm. Yeah, I have to say, there's nothing in this show that really breaks the uh, the illusion for me. There are other shows that definitely go. What? What? Hang on. Why? Why would you? Uh, I uh, okay. And then I just have to accept it. Whereas this one, no, it's pretty consistent. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. This is a this is a very small dip in uh, inconsistency here for sure. Like I'm just like, oh no, okay, it's good, mm-hmm. it's fine. I can I can deal with it. But so Cora begs Paige not to set off the alarm and to let her free, and Cora agrees. Uh, and then Cora talks to her friend about it, but she's awful at hiding things. Uh, oh, sorry. Paige is talking to her friend about it, but she's really bad at hiding things. So she doesn't say that Cora is an ISO, but she does shut down and bail on the conversation when her friends ask too many questions. Yeah. So, and then Cora and her friend later on are talking to Paige, and they say they're going to leave now, and that they're grateful, and that they're sorry that they won't get to hear Paige's cool music in the future, which is uh, quite nice. But then, uh, yeah, I actually think that this is a more compelling iso story than we've seen before because it's pretty yeah. much just like the this you know uh holocaust slash apartheid thing but yeah. we're seeing it in the macro rather than the micro and and it's a line that cora says here that i find interesting which is everything the grid was made by flynn except us we're free that's the only reason we're being hunted and that just brings up a lot of questions and i you know i, I continue to think about it after she said it and I think that's a very important thing that so far the whole ISO story hasn't had. Well, yeah, and it's something that, like, during the flashback in Legacy, you know, this little that little ten minute sequence where they talk about the ISOs coming out of the wild, moving into the city, getting lives, becoming part of the populace, 
and then having Clue turn on them because they weren't created by Flynn and they're not perfect. They're imperfections because they're naturally mm. occurring. And so there's this giant purge and a holocaust and they all get destroyed except for Korra. And he's like, and that brings us up to today. And I'm like, could the movie be about that, please? Yes. That <laughs> sounds... sort of cover it in a game, I guess. <laughs> That's fascinating. And so, yeah, it's nice to get another little window into, into what it was like back then. It's still not, you know not not macro enough like i i want to i want more i want to i want to find mm. out more about what happened during that chapter of history because there's yeah. so many awesome parallels to human history that could be explored but i like uh but we at least we got this which is which is super awesome i feel like the yeah the, the point that legacy decides to take place in was actually after the point where it was really interesting the whole paradise lost yeah. stuff with clue and building this new world and you got this new species and satan's like what do we do with them and god's like hey they're cool just let them chill man and satan's like no uh, yeah. i'm not supposed to be swearing no screw you <laughs> and yeah uh, oh all of that would have been great and then no we have to focus on freaking sam flynn who has the personality of of freaking cornflakes and <laughs> yeah um yeah so so we could have had that, but we didn't. At least we're getting hints of that here. Well, at least we're getting hints of it, yeah. So. Oh, actually, uh, sorry. Other, the other thought is like, hang on, just try and think of that from a program's perspective is, so for us, you know, we, we, well, we think we have free will. So the idea of these other beings showing up and having free will, that's, you know, that's not really a problem for us, but for a program. Yeah. And you have an assigned function. There's a purpose. There is order and reason to everything. And then these guys show up. And that must, it's not just they're a threat to your everyday life. It's this very profound, again, existential yeah. terror. What does that mean of to existence, you? Right? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, like here, like when we're trying to get to know each other and there's small talk or something, we say, what do you do for fun? Or we say, or just, you know, every party, when you meet somebody, a common question mm. is, so what do you do? You know, like, yeah. and, and they mean your occupation. And I've heard that in other parts of like on the East coast of Canada, they say, what instrument do you play? Because everybody plays a, uh, the, oh, cliche, the, the cliche is that everybody plays a, at least a kind of instrument over there. So there's this, what do you do for leisure? What do you do for fun? What do you do for your occupation? Like, you know, it's your choice. Whereas in the 1982 Tron world, like you are your occupation. Yeah. You know, you're you're not a you're not an Excel spreadsheet during the day and then a DJ at night. You're 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 just you're just a spreadsheet. That's your your accounting software. That's what you do. That is mm. your your raison d'etre. That's that's not just who you are. It's it's not it's not just what you do. It's also who you are. So yeah, that's if, an, that probably explains why Paige and Cora do have this connection. Sure, there's a little bit of a little bit of ISO in Paige. There's a little bit of ISO in Paige for sure, and I think. Uh, I think she realizes that and she's like, oh, these ISOs, they're not so bad. But there's an ISO infestation alarm that goes off and the recognizers roll in. Uh, and that... I'm so glad that Tron Uprising exists. We have we have this kind of stuff where the movie didn't give yeah. it to us. Yeah, for sure. But then that gives Cora the idea that she's been betrayed. Mm. Um, so she knocks Paige out, realizing that with, with that sort of backstory to give the cops that Paige won't be derezzed for working with the enemy. But mm. the, the downside is that Paige won't ever trust ISOs again. 
Well, guess it's not going to be too much of a problem when they're all wiped out. So yeah, it's not going to yeah, it's not going to matter too much. Back to the island, we see that Beck has made a cool dinghy, and Paige offers her chopper's battery pack, and uh, another chunk of the island derezzes, and Paige is left hanging by her fingertips. Dun dun dun. And then uh, we go back to her flashback, and the unconscious Paige is roughly lifted by red guards. She flips out and beats them up before Tesler himself shows up and pins her to the wall, saying that he's looking for two ISO fugitives. She says, mm. uh, yeah, and then, but then Paige says, yeah, I gave Cora medical aid, and she repaid me by knocking me out. And uh, and Tesla's like I think she's very resourceful and adaptable. You know, yeah, that she can immediately flip the situation to her advantage. And it's kind of half, like I think that's why, that's why Cora did knock her out, so that when she woke up, she could say, "I got beat up by an ISO," and have it be true. Yeah. So that the authorities would be like, "Oh, okay, you're still one of us. You didn't help the enemy or whatever." But, but I could see that she is dressing it up here because she's got like tesla's hand at her throat so she's like oh yeah those darn isos they're no friends of mine so i think she also ha- tesla is wearing a really cool helmet we don't get to see his helmet very often and no. i like it it's very sort of 60s 50s 60s science fiction sure it's very like it's like the ancient armor from uh zelda breath of the wild and it's also yeah. like uh, like a drawing by Mobius or something. He he drew a lot of conical, oh, yes. a lot of conical hats on his characters, and so this is this is one of those. Yeah, you just put like quilted stuff and knee pads on and a conical helmet. You just you, you're a Mobius character. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and then Tesla reveals that those two ISOs, uh, Ada and Cora, they derezzed every single person in the medical cube, and they robbed the place. And he takes Paige through hallways littered with blue blood spatters and damaged walls. And I mean, it looks like there's literal body chunks hanging around there. And he calls it, uh, he calls it ISO contamination. So I wonder if her, uh, if her two friends are dead too, but Tesla uses this as uh, leverage to get her to join him and Paige. And again, there's that paternal vibe and he's kind of adopting her as well well as recruiting her. And that's the whole thing, right? Like, I don't really understand that part because she's just a victim and then he wakes her up. I mean, the fact that she takes out two guards with ease, I think makes him go, oh, hey, I got a live one here. This is someone that should be on my team, right? Yeah, why does he, why does he sense something different about her? I don't but know. yeah, it's still, a, a, a he expends a lot of effort to get her to join their team. And uh, I don't get the feeling that she's being singled out, but it kind of feels like she's being singled out. So I don't really know what the deal is. But Peg is super easy to do so after she witnesses all the carnage. Uh, I don't want to make any predictions, but I don't think the ISOs were the ones that destroyed the medical center. We'll see how this plays out. Yeah, it's probably a false flag. (laughs) I think so. So, uh, but back to the island, Beck runs away. This is a, this is another cool moment because he runs away from the dangling page who's still hanging by her, by her fingertips. And then he hooks the battery up to the raft and he wants to boat over to under where Paige is to save her mm. while she falls. Uh, but now Tesla's there in a light chopper as well. So her chunk derezzes and she falls into the water unconscious. 
Beck dives in to save her, but Tesla gets her first with a grappling hook. So now in her experience, Beck abandoned her to die and Tesla saved her. Yeah. We know that's yeah, not true. Yeah, she doesn't see him at all. No. no, she doesn't. So all she knows is she was dangling by her hands and he bailed. He ran away. Mm. And she's like, what? So we know it's not true, but we know that Tesla is going to spin it his way tried so hard got so far in the end doesn't even matter (laughs) exactly exactly uh and so they miss detecting beck as he's underwater which i don't really understand but we see the rest of the island sink and then we see this is that is such a sci-fi trope where oh conveniently our senses don't work even though we're supposed to be able to just be able to detect anyone yeah from like a million miles away oh you're underwater no Uh, he's he's five feet underwater it's we're we're blind here we have no idea where what's going on (laughs) under there uh, so, but then this is a cool scene as we see we see Paige on the chopper with wet hair. Yeah, we have not seen that before. No, it's cool to see a program with wet hair. She's got this, this dangling wet hair going on, which is uh, it's really really cool. And then and, uh, uh, it resets really quickly. So obviously, yeah. water physics aren't quite the same. No, but Pavel says he's glad to see her alive, and Paige is like, "Yeah, right," <laughs> you know. And I uh, I think Paige and and Pavel are gonna have they're gonna go toe to toe one day. They're gonna have a real falling out. But mm. no. I think that's kind of a sibling rivalry. Oh, for sure, for sure. But we see that Beck is back at Tron's now without the data cube, but Tron doesn't really care. Tron's like, I'm impressed by the fact that, you know, Tron says that he's impressed by the fact that Beck tried to help an enemy. And he's not too concerned. I'm proud about, of your son. I'm proud of your son. But he's not too concerned <laughs> about the data cube loss, which is uh, which is pretty cool. But Paige, uh, this is kind of a sad scene. Paige tells Tesla that uh, he's like, she's like, Beck betrayed me just like the ISOs did. And I was wrong to trust him on the island. But they've got the data cube back and that's all that matters. And then she says, mm-hmm. you know, I'm lucky to have you, Tesla. And I take strength from knowing that you would never betray me like those ISOs did. Um, mm. And then we get a flashback, and this is a this is a bad flashback because uh, Tesla is told by Paige's two friends that Cora and Ava just left, and that they were treated by Paige. So Tesla says, "Okay, tear this place apart, round up everybody that was exposed to the ISOs." And have them derezzed immediately for collaborating with traitors. And yeah. Paige's friends friends are like, say what? And then he's like, starting with those two, and uh, they get derezzed off screen, thankfully, but there's some pretty terrifying screams and uh, they get derezzed off screen by the by the guards. Which I don't which and then they cut back to Tesla saying that he would never betray Paige, and then we have this beautiful plaintive uh, fade out of Paige back in her quarters playing her little instrument, uh, her little data her data processing pad instrument there, mm. plaint- plaintively. So she hasn't stopped playing music, which is, I think, cool. She still has artistic downtime. But uh, I, I still... I love this episode. I don't know why... I'm still, I still don't know why Tesla went the extra mile for Paige because Paige treated the ISOs which is automatic, like you helped the enemy. She did help the enemy. And then, uh, you know. Because he didn't know anything about her prior unless he did do research on her. I don't know why he would. Maybe, like either, yeah, because he either singled her out or she passed some test somewhere because 
I don't know why he kills everybody in the building except her. That's a lot of people yeah. to kill, right? Maybe that was something that we're going to go into in the next season, but we never got that next season. Oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope it happens. Yeah. Or if not... I'll if, have to write that fan fiction. I'm also content with, uh, you know, loving the mystery. It's, it's, uh, that's okay, too. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you, I think that takes us up to the end of... Uh, tron uprising episode six yeah and it is a really good one that's a great episode get a lot it, of... it is a show that takes a while to get going but once it gets going you're just so hooked yeah i think i think i understand their their argument for like not airing the first episode for a while because that's mostly preamble and then it takes yeah. a, a, a couple episodes to sort of really put the put the pedal down and, uh, Probably episode what was it four or five, the one with the memory loss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I can't, ironically can't remember the name. <laughs> memory loss. Uh, yeah, that was I think that moment where it just went. Yes, this is clicking into place. There are stakes. There is a lot of character here. There's yeah, perfect. Right. Yeah, or like the like the dude says, you know, like new stuff has come to light, man. Like they keep they, they, they introduce these new things you know disintegrating islands memory loss uh, medical buildings uh you know like the purge and they keep revealing all these these bits of history but also bits of just adding to the lore rather than just uh you know making it a very simple paint by numbers you know action show yeah. or something having watched a lot of kids shows for research specifically transformers but also some other things just how many shows you know there are some shows aimed at kids where you can tell that the writers clearly have a lot of investment in it my little pony actually the sure is magic yeah so the reason why that appeals to adults is because there's an actual plot there uh steven universe there's character arcs there's yep. development yeah but yeah no there's a lot of transformers series specifically where it's just like and here's the one where the this cliche plot happens and here's the other one where some more fulfiller crap happens just oh my god it's so boring but obviously kids like it yeah so a lot of unfortunately kids are not and i count myself among them when i was seven and eight uh, we're not exactly discer yeah. discerning judges of quality <laughs> like, oh um, yeah going back and watching some things now that i loved as a kid just ooh, go, this is so boring holy moly some nostalgia rewatches have been looked at in horror for sure i've been like wow i thought this was hilarious oh my gosh yeah. i uh i'm watching samurai jack again and that's actually really boring for the first few episodes and i got worried I'm like no 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 but Samurai Jack's, like, top tier. Like, no, man. No, it can't be bad. I refuse to believe it. <laughs> and then, no, once... It, it, well, because it's, it's silent. Not to go into too much of a tangent, but yeah, there's not a lot of dialogue in this first few episodes. So it's all very simple storytelling. No. Well, once that's... people start talking, it gets a little better. Yeah, and that's Jendi Tartofsky for you, right? Like, he he likes it. He's a big fan of a visual storytelling motif. Oh, Jendi's so. amazing, yeah. Love it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Animatronic. I've been Duncan Shields. And I have been Courtney Colson. And tune in next time for another episode of Animatronic. End, End of, of line. line.